Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to New Books in Russian and Eurasian Studies on the New Books Network. My name is Diana Dehanova, and I will be your host today. Uh, and I'm speaking with Dr. Sofia Gavrilova, who is a postdoctoral researcher at the Leibniz Institute for Regional Geography in Leipzig and a human geographer of post-Soviet spaces, about her monograph, Russia's Regional Museums, Representing and Misrepresenting Knowledge About Nature, History, and Society. Dr. Gavrilova, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for inviting. It's my pleasure. Um, So to start us off, can you talk just a bit about your research background and kind of how you became interested in this topic? Yes, for sure. Um, Actually, I have my background in physical geography. So I uh, I got my first PhD degree, which is called or referred to quite often as Kandidatska degree of science from Moscow State University when I was studying uh, snow avalanches in mountains. Oh, I was wow. fasc- <laughs> Yeah, I was fascinated by um, natural disasters. So I've done my first PhD in natural disasters, actually. Um, but then um, I kind of lack the possibility to go deeply in theory um, and in like critical studies that I wanted to. And um, I, uh, when I first started drafting my application, my PhD application, because, because the book is based on my PhD project at uh, University of Oxford, um, of course, it was very um, wide and unstructured and very bad application. Um, and I was just curious how the places are represented and what are the images that are constructed in different media, including uh, propaganda media, which started to appear, launched by Russian Geographical Society. And then um, I started to look more closely on what is feasible in three years. And I just, you know, came across um, a small museum uh, near my dacha, near my country house um, um, in Moscow region. And um, the Kravyedinia Museum, and I was just fascinated again. I kind of recall these emotions of how they look alike, how these museums look alike in different places. And um, yeah, and that's uh, aligned with... um, with the, my research, initial research proposal and the necessity to narrow it down. And that is how I kind of decided to de- dedicate the whole research to the network mm-hmm. of the museums. It's such an innovative uh, project. I just really, really enjoyed this um, because I think I mentioned when I first um, asked you to do this interview that I'm also looking at some similar questions around sacred space um, in Russia, and there's just so little, um, so little that's been done so far. So I was very excited to find find your book. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, I. I um, this is also something which surprised me a lot when I started doing the research that. Kravedini network in generally and the museums in particular somehow were uh, massively overlooked 
in recent um, in recent years in in academia. So there are like studies of Kriyevedina done within Kriyevedina scholarship in Russia. You know, like history of Kriyevedina and things like mm-hmm. this. But there are really not that much critical approaches and. Um, which is still lacking, which I kind of fail to do, is try to place a Krayvedinian museum as a distant type of socialist museum in kind of embedded into the museum scholarship. Mm-hmm. That is also something that is, I think, um, has to be done mm-hmm. yet. Um, and what was your research and particularly your field work experience like? Oh, um I enjoyed it very much. Um, I think it's um, I well I spent almost every summer um, during these three four years and uh, even a couple of winters in the different parts of Russia. And uh, because I decided to kind of pursue this uh, diachronical approach, so I um, this the present state of the museums was equally important as their archival work. Um, I you know, have chosen the places which I was interested in. And um, that's just, I was, I'm still very grateful that uh, I had an opportunity to go to all these places and to meet all these people and to talk to them. So um, it was amazing. (laughs) Um, It was just really breathtaking experiences, experience visiting visiting the, both the museums, the local and regional archives, and being able to actually drive to the places that um, that I was eager to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, the, the Krajavidinia Museum, um, you talk in your introduction about how it's kind of ubiquitous, right? There's almost, a, it exists in every town or city. Um, so what is their main purpose? I think it depends on the time period that we're talking about. <clears throat> so I would say that um, if we try to generalize, it's their main purpose is to uh, reflect or to create um, um, a certain amount uh, of patterns a citizen can um, kind of uh, feel connected with or react to. And what difference what difference through uh, the history of Krayvedinia is who was creating these patterns and how they were selected, what how the objects were selected to reflect those. Uh, but the main purpose is just to uh, show that typical, which placed them kind of on completely different spectrum from, for example, ethnographical museum who are mm-hmm. who were and are um, to a certain extent showing. Um, Untypical, right? Some the curiosities, right? They, they oh, yeah. uh, uh, grew up from the cabinets of curiosities uh, in, in in Europe, and Krajewiecki Museum is showing typical. So I would say that for a visitor, for a tourist, uh, they fulfill the function of um, uh, just showing what the place consists of, um, and for locals. Uh, I think the main purpose is to create this um, construction of a place identity. Um, they can or they should um, kind of uh, feel connect. They should connect to. That's what I would put it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and just to define for um, listeners who don't um, know the language, what is what is the meaning of Krajewiedzenie? 
So, краеведение, um, it, it means literally uh, learning your local lore or looking your uh, small, uh, little motherland, motherhood. And, uh, sorry, motherland. And um, uh, in, in, in scholarly tradition, in Western academic tradition, it's usually reduced to the local history, which I'm kind of trying to uh, confront in my book because I think that apart from historical narrative, uh, the nar- the um, representation of nature and society and studying the nature and the society are equally important, uh, are also important um, in the concept. So just saying that it's local history, I think it's a simplification of the concept. So yeah, that's what it stands for. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the introduction, you write, I'm going to just quote, Kraevidine um, museums are not just an important and gravely understudied aspect of the region's cultural landscape, uh, but a very powerful example of the decolonization of the predominant Western paradigm of knowledge production. Um, so I just thought this was so interesting. Could you talk a little bit about how your study broadens this paradigm um, of the geographies of scientific knowledge? Oh, Wow. I really, I really wrote it. Oh, that's that's good. <laughs> yes, that's your word. <laughs> no, I think what I was, uh, I was, I was, um, what I was trying to say that, um, as as we um, talked before, that krayvedinya uh, is a specific form of knowledge production, which uh, is kind of unique, right, and which is represented in a material form in krayvedinya museums. But apart from my museums, you know, there are tons and tons of literature and texts written by scholars and volunteers in 20th century through these lands of Krajevedinje, right? And, uh, for example, if you start looking into like literature of what was was written uh, there are books on how krayvedinya should be taught in schools there were aspirantura like the uh, phd degrees in uh, krayvedinya in universities so th- it was really i think a lot of efforts were put into kind of justification of this uh, discipline slash research method because this is also what was unclear for the Soviet scholars. What are they actually trying to um, to embed in academia in uh, Soviet mm-hmm. academia? Is it a research method or is it um, a um, discipline or is it just something which goes parallel with the official? Um, science as you know um, uh, sorry I missed the world as um, what is it as um, um, a, a citizen science mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, and I even tried to make this parallel in my book saying what actually if we look in the research design of Krajewetnia it looks really, really similar to many um, civil science research projects that we're witnessing now, but pre-internet, right? Mm -hmm. In the times where there was no uh, possibility to use the internet. So, like, uh, I think it's it's important to uh, embed these initiatives, and I'm quite sure that there are a lot of them when, you know, it's not a unique thing in terms of just different way of producing knowledge, geographical knowledge, ethnographical knowledge, um, historical narratives uh, from um, 
the predominant ways it was done, uh, let's say in mid-century um, West, whatever West we stand, whatever we call West, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Europe and US. So that's what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying that I think that it's uh, it's interesting to see Krayvedenia as an alternative form of knowledge production, which you know was uh, set up and um, run for almost I would say 50 years uh, as a state-sponsored. Uh, project of knowledge production. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned um, there's like more than 800 of these museums in Russia, right? So how did you decide which ones you were going to include in your case studies? Yeah, that's a very good question. So um, I um, started, so I, um, my starting point was the hypothesis that, um, or just curiosity, why uh, the museum looks so alike, right? So I was Mm -hmm. uh, driven by that question. And so I just started to think where I can find um, different narratives and different representations. And so that is how uh, my um, attempt chose, you know, the most distant places as Chukotka, or um, the distance or the regions with very mixed uh, ethnographical um, background, like Yakutia, for example, or the um, Tatarstan, which is a Muslim region. So mm-hmm. this is like was the 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 logic behind of that, and just was trying to choose uh, places which I would expect them to challenge the Kriyevian representation or um, to produce um, where I would expect to find something different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how long did your field work take? Um, I would say that I've done it uh, in a wrong way also. I, well, I spent the first summer uh, in the archives and then I just traveled every summer back. So oh, let me count. So I think it was three uh, field seasons in total. I would mm-hmm. say about half a year if we count them all the months together. But I was trying to spend time in Oxford as well uh, because I was um, eager to uh, kind of uh, participate in the Oxford life. So I would say that I would I was dedicating summers to the field work and uh, it was basically every summer for three years, mm-hmm. three and a half mm-hmm. years. Okay. Um, yeah, that's that, that's pretty typical, right, kind of uh, trajectory. Um, so you mentioned before uh, that the this concept of this museum is obviously it's part of Soviet ethnography, geography, history. So what are some of the key Soviet academic theories that shape um, how these museums uh, were kind of created and promulgated? Well, I would say that um, they should... Speaking about like theory behind, um, well, not behind, but like in, in this book, mm-hmm. I would say that it's equally important to um, talk about what shaped the presence and also an absence of certain narratives and mm-hmm. places and um, um, peoples in the in the in the museum. So um, I think that um, it's. Uh, the 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 link between the predominant theories, uh, like uh, you know, the in geography, the predominance of Marxist-Leninist approach towards um, 
uh, geography and the importance of, well, we can't call it strictly um, environmental determinism, but like the the influence of environmental de- determinism, which says that the way people look and behave um, is explained by the um, you know climatic conditions and mm-hmm. you know environment where they live that's all shaped um, the expositions I would say that if we talk about um, ethnography and history of course in, in all the museums um, the history is the history of the Russian state in in a place right so even when you go to Chukotka even if you go to very distant villages um, where nobody goes to, um, uh, you will still see that the local museums will kind of show the history of the Soviet presence in Chukotka and Soviet colonization of Chukotka, not the indigenous histories. Um, so I think like this is the this is how um, historical approaches and Soviet policies uh, in nation building and mastering the backwards, and I put it in uh, uh, brackets in 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 the quote, quote, I'm quoting the the documents. Yeah, the um, um, what is it? Um, up, um, educating the backwards nation, right? That that's how mm-hmm. it's called. So that's where we see uh, origins of the expositions that we see. But also, it's equally interesting to see, for example, then uh, that even in the larger cities, the museums do not show the cities itself. So, the city kind of is never present, and that is because, you know, the, the urban studies and social economical geographies uh, were not that popular in Soviet times. So they have completely different approaches um, to study the. Um, the influence of a human on uh, landscapes and on building cities and things like that. So I think when I was trying to say that this, uh, the museums reflect the predominant theories, I was referring to this mostly, I would mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. I hope it's clear. Yeah, and that's really yeah. that surprises me actually that the the city itself was not even included in the museums. That's that's really fascinating. Um, so actually, on, on that same topic, so um, a key element of your analysis, which you I think you already mentioned, is this idea of um, what you call the common unsaid, which you mm-hmm. described as the negative form of a cultural myth. Um, so I'm going to quote again. Um, you write that the common unsaid represents a historical event or landscape that is set aside and omitted from public discourse, despite its influence on a society or local environment. Um, and you argue that the Krajevedzinia museums played a key role in the development of these uh, Soviet common unsaids. Um, so could you talk a little bit more about this? <clears throat> sure. Um, I, uh, I find it really, really uh, actually important to talk about this. Um, and I only, you know, scratch the surface with my book because um, I think that uh, what is omitted and what is not shown and what is not uh, talked about is, as we all know from, you know, memory studies and uh, his, in, like critical histories um, is, is, is the most intriguing. But I think it's, it's really important to see that concept and or to stretch this concept beyond just historical narrative. 
Um, so it's it's really easy to you know to say that we know that there have been thousands of gulag camps and they are not shown. Okay, this is the common unsaid. That is like the absence that museum mm-hmm. is um, producing and reproducing. Um, but apart from that, there are equally um, the places which are not shown, you know. And um, I find find it also mm, important not to stick to not showing, but actually seeing that, as I wrote uh, in my book, as the uh, different methods, different discursive techniques of how um, these unsaids could be created, right? And here I um, kind of build upon Bart and Svetlana Boim, so mm-hmm. I take from Bart's uh, myth-making um, discursive techniques and I kind of, you know, then build on uh, poems, uh, how they were co- constructed or, you know, reproduced in silences. And I'm just trying to say that, you know, when you go on the website uh, uh, of Gulag museums in Russia, and you see these numbers of museums which mention the presence of the Gulag. Well, I think it's it's not enough just to uh, be happy that so many regional museums are talking about Gulag because the way they do, you know, it's also important. And if you don't, for example, embed the um, the state of the place's economy if you don't embed the history of the gulag in that right or if you just uh put um one um a4 paper about the gulag in the corner <laughs> that is yeah in in perm or in yakutsk that is not enough so we can say yeah okay we acknowledge the presence of the gulag but you know it's 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 that's not true actually, right? This is just, uh, yeah. So I think there are all these discursive techniques um, which create this false or not, well, we can't say false because we don't have a truth, but which which create quite a twisted narrative. Um, and this narrative can include the total exclusion, uh, but also all other forms of uh, myth-making, like acknowledging, like inoculation, acknowledging the part of an evil, not to acknowledge the evil to a certain, to to a bigger extent, right? Mm -hmm. The classic parts example, um, which are important to be named and, you know, kind of revealed. Um, So, yeah, that's that's what I meant by it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to circle back for a minute to something you said earlier, um, that even if you're, um, you know, in Chukutka or some very remote region, there will still be a museum. And I'm just wondering if there's any difference in sort of a museum that seems to be geared for the local population to learn about their own region versus in a bigger place that might be for tourists, or are they, were they kind of, uh, curated in the same ways? Uh, can you repeat it again? I'm not sure that I, uh, I, I got what you're asking. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. So um, I'm thinking, so if you have a museum in a remote mm-hmm. um, city where there's not a lot of tourists, right? Um, is there any difference between a museum, um, a Karevitinia museum in that kind of city, as opposed to a more populous city that will have tourists in addition to mm-hmm. the local population looking at it? Well, yes. You know, that's the most fascinating part. Uh, actually, No. And there mm-hmm. is, uh, I couldn't, I was trying to find the patterns of um, 
creating uh, or contesting the narrative, the Soviet narrative. Uh, I was trying to find this pattern and I couldn't. So basically the history is that um, the the centralized governance of Krajewedzina Museum started to uh, decline in 1950s. And right now, well, at least until the last year, and that's something we can discuss later, there was no centralized governance of the network so there, there was uh, the gap for the freedom and the gap, the space and time where uh, Kremlin Museum could have actually, um, you know, re- redo the expositions. And many of them did. For example, again, uh, the museum in Tomsk, the fascinating museum in Tomsk, uh, who won a lot of their ex- uh, exposition, won a lot of grants in Moscow, but also internationally, who started to challenge uh, the Soviet heritage in their museums, you know, who started to uh, implement new approaches and new narratives and engage with public. And they've done the whole uh, project about the relocation identity because a lot of people in the region were just uh, the um, uh, children and grandchildren of those who were sent to Tomsk uh, by the Soviet authorities, um, uh, like deported. And uh, they've done it. And this is Tomsk. It's a quite a big city. While in, um, uh, in, in again, in my small villages in Chukotka, uh, the beautiful ladies who run the museum would tell a completely different story to me if we're in a museum and if we're drinking tea, you know, uh, and mm-hmm. they're just t- telling me the story of their families. That would be completely different narratives and they would not make an effort. No, I don't want to say that, that, that it sounds wrong. They would not kind of understand that they have the power maybe to influence the exposition in the museum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's really interesting, right? So, yeah, there's so, kind of- so yeah, it, answering to your question, no, I could not find where this freedom to um, to, to redo the ex- uh, exhibitions, what it depended on, what it depends mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that's really interesting that there's kind of two narratives coexisting, right, in the, in the same space and in the, the space in which you are kind of determines how you present it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So um, one of the most fascinating uh, aspects of of this study was um, how the museums construct and present nature and the relationship between humans and nature. So could you talk about that a bit? Yeah, sure. Um, mm, So the book is structured um, in like analyzing the the gold, this golden triad uh, of Krajewiedzenia. So, which it's also, you know, it's it's only appeared in uh, 1930s because um, before that there was a certain freedom in the way Krajewiedzenia museums were, the ones which existed before 1930s, of course, uh, how they represented um, the their place. And it was not so, uh, it was not a golden rule that they would, divide their space onto these three areas. So it's only appeared in the 1930s. And um, what fascinated me with these instructions on the representation that they were so detailed. So that's where this Sovietness, where this um, 
the same kind of representation and narrative comes from, right? Um, which we see in all the museums. So they were very detailed. And um, the Soviet uh, ideas of human nature relationships were very specific, right? They, uh, from one hand, they, um, uh, they were talking about the importance of a socialist man and their, and it's, mm-hmm. um, uh, power over the nature and power to change the nature and that where all this beautiful project of um, turning rivers you know and uh, forestation and deforestations come from so from one hand all almost all the museums would have this um, but from the other hand as a kind of to manage the consequences of that they would have this concept of uh, free a virgin nature, um, which is untouched by a human being, you know, and that leads us, for example, to the appearance of Zapovedniki, a very specific type of land conservation initiatives in Soviet times, where this there were um, hundreds of um, just places which we were which were banned from any human presence, right? So I think that is what you can quite easily find in every museum um, this kind of coexistence from one hand on the um, importance of the um, mineral deposits uh, of you know of oil of any kind of mineral you can find in a land how it can be uh, or was um, used by um, uh, places, economy, and what was done with it. Um, And then on the other hand, it would uh, have this beautiful, uh, sometimes even painted um, um, draw, like with drawings and uh, pieces of uh, background walls painted with this uh, very, very pristine uh, paisages. Uh, as mm-hmm. there were no one present, so I would say this is quite dom- predominant, and also, of course, there's going to be a lot of stuffed animals, um, right. like the uh, bear and uh, um, who else would be there? Moose, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what else? I think that's the, the main part. So, uh, uh, and it's interesting because um, in. It's literally in the museums uh, in Perm, in Yakutsk, and in Anadar, you would see the um, part of the exhibition with fur, for example, about the fur production, you know, and this is, would be the part of the representation of the nature. So things like this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so, so like embedding it in the local economy simultaneously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I know our listeners will be wondering sort of, um, what has the role of these museums been in the Putin era and do they, to what extent do they kind of get involved in, um, sort of Putin ideology, Putin era knowledge production? Yeah. And this is, um, very interesting, um, topic because, uh, when I was doing my research and it was, um, in 2000. 14 15 16 um the the whole network seemed to be kind of abandoned by uh, governmental discourse so uh 
of course, you know, you could, you could, you, you could, you could have seen like the presence of the portrait of Putin or Medvedev, but there were no, uh, what str- no strong state-sponsored propaganda. There would be more like Soviet heritage than like new developments, and what was. Uh, even more surprising that in parallel to that, in the big cities, in the city with a population more than one million uh, people, they started to build these new museums, which called Russia My Historia, Russia My History, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like this huge uh, museum parks, you know, they like expo parks, where they would put state-sponsored narrative. So for yeah, so for a certain time, these two networks even coexisted, and Kreivedini network was. Actually, well, it looked like it was abandoned and it started to open up to the new Krivedinia uh, initiative, for example, which tried to bring Krivedinia back to more to indigenous local production and family histories and local histories. Uh, but what happened uh, last December before the, before the start of the uh, war is that the Ministry of Culture presented the new concept of Krevetnia Museum and the new standard of Krevetnia Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in the conference uh, in St. Petersburg. And uh, then like the community uh, started to fear that maybe um, this is going to be the new uh, the new future of the network so that they were going to be developed the new standards um, and they will be just implemented from above as it was done in 1930s or in 1950s and and uh, so and right now it's really hard to say as you can imagine uh, what's mm-hmm. happening in there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so of, of course the it's it's uh, we're in, a, in time in flux, um, and Russia Maya Storia certainly has um, its own very, very uh, kind of noticeable, readable um, ideology embedded into it. Um, so um, to wrap up our conversation, could you talk a little bit about your current projects, and is this something you're still working on? Sure. Uh, now I am not working on on this project anymore at least for now though i uh, would really uh, love to engage more with the history intellectual history of kreivedinia and definitely would be interesting to look in more details in the way kreivedinia network in other former soviet uh, countries um, exists now mm-hmm. if at all right now i'm working on the question on the geographical education Mm-hmm. Uh, in present Russia and in late Soviet times. And my other project is dedicated to the uh, Russian immigration, after-war immigration. Uh, and I'm trying to look at the receiving communities in Georgia and Armenia and how um, the what how, if at all, we can frame and define what is perceived to be imperial behavior uh, from the newly uh, arrived Russians. So I'm looking at the tensions and um, uh, narratives that are happening uh, around the new wave of Russian immigration to these countries. 
that's that is that is really interesting um i will look forward to that research as well um well uh thank you for listening to new books in russian and eurasian studies on the new books network i have been speaking with dr sofia gavrilova author of russia's regional museums representing and misrepresenting knowledge about nature history and society uh now available from rutledge dr gavrilova thank you again for joining me today thank you very much it was my pleasure